Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Callista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. It is Monday, January 29th. It's been a pretty wild week for Netflix. Last Monday, Scott Stuber, its head of film for the past seven years, and arguably the most powerful person in the movie business, given the volume that Netflix puts out. He stepped down. It was a long time coming. I reported in my Puck newsletter that he wanted to make fewer movies, better movies, give some of them theatrical releases and marketing, something the top leadership in Netflix has resisted, despite a lot of evidence that theatrical releases actually boost viewership on streaming. Then the next day, and I don't think this is a coincidence, Netflix announced a massive deal with WWE for Monday Night Raw. It's up to 10 years and $5 billion for the U.S. and some territories overseas, putting Netflix in the live sports business, or at least sports, quote, entertainment, a distinction that Ted Sarandos, the co-CEO, said is significant, but from a media rights perspective, it really isn't that different from sports. WWE is actually better than regular sports because it's 52 weeks a year, 150 hours of programming can be manipulated for better ratings. A huge moment for Netflix, and I would argue that it's the end of one era and the beginning of a new one, where Netflix is all about engagement, time spent on the platform. They're selling ads now, and they don't want you to just subscribe. They want you to watch a lot. So sports or fake sports make sense, as long as they can keep the costs under control. Then last week, Netflix got 18 Oscar nominations, second only to Disney among the conglomerates, and the same day it revealed its fourth quarter earnings. 13 million new subscribers, good financials, profit margins of 20% for the full year. Another data point to show that in subscription streaming video, there is Netflix and then there is everyone else. The question after all this news is what does it say about the next moves for Netflix? Clearly, the password sharing crackdown is helping boost subscribers, but that won't last forever. Is Netflix going to significantly pull back on the movies it makes, especially as the other legacy studios are willing to license more of their top content? Is it basically now a global cable television channel and thus not as ambitious in its programming? Lots of questions about Netflix. So we've got Lucas Shaw back today to dive into it all. The Netflix Wild Week and what's next. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg back again. Welcome, Lucas. Great to be here. How you doing? How's your weekend? It was nice, you know, very Southern California weekend. Went to the beach a little bit, uh, did some sports with the kid, lacrosse, baseball. I went to Dave and Buster's. Um, very, very uh, L.A. weekend. But all right. 
huge week for Netflix. I feel like there was a Netflix news item every day of the week last week. And we're finally able to catch up on all of it. To me, the biggest news is the WWE deal, which we will talk about. But I do want to get your thoughts on the exit of Scott Stuber, who has been a controversial figure at Netflix. He's been running the film group there for seven years, producer, ran Universal Studios for a while. And under Stuber, they significantly ramped up their output. They were putting out 85 movies a year at one point. Uh, a couple of them good. Many of them not good. Uh, he Give himself. A Come on. Okay. No, no. Uh, they, they, had a, they had a lower than average hit rate. Let's just say that. Yeah. And I think that Stuber knew that. And he wanted to make fewer movies. He wanted to make better movies. He said so in several interviews. He wanted to give these movies that deserve them some theatrical exhibition. He wanted them to be marketed like a traditional movie. He knows that that's how you ultimately create franchises is you put the movies in the minds of the general public. And Netflix was having none of that. Ted Sarandos doesn't want that. Bella Bajaria, his boss, did not want that. And now he's out. Is my read of this accurate to you? I think that's mostly right. Yeah. I mean, look, I've written pretty extensively about the Stuber tenure over the last few years in particular. And there's been a lot said about, oh, well, they're making fewer movies. They're not going to make as many big budget movies. They don't want to make awards movies. And there's kernels of truth in some of that. And some of those are distortions. But I think the biggest thing is like, you look at the movie business today and everybody else puts their movies in theaters. And Netflix doesn't. That is a, a strategic choice that Netflix has made. But Stuber made a big push uh, a couple of years ago, the year of of Knives Out and a, and a couple of other big titles that he really thought he'd get into, into theaters. Knives he Out 2, yeah. Knives Out 2. He really wanted to have more marketing around these titles. And they did in small... Like, there was a big, you know, for Netflix, a big campaign around the, the Gray Man, this sort of spy thriller. But they, Netflix just never really... could not get Ted Sarandos and Bella Bajaria and used to be Reed Hastings, now Greg Peters, to sort of like buy into this idea of turning these movies into events and building sort of a business around them off streaming. And so, you know, at a certain point, if you can't do what you think you need to do, you change. I, I think there had obviously been a lot of chatter about him and other jobs in recent years. You know, you look at those studio jobs and the Netflix job compared to those, I still think was probably of the at a big company jobs, like the best one unless you're going to be like Donna Langley at Universal who just... I mean, making yeah. 16 to $18 million a year, that's a pretty good job. Making all that money and getting to make all that many movies and with that many filmmakers. Yeah, and if you really want a project, you have kind of unlimited money. Yeah. If you want the two Knives Out sequels, $450 million bucks, sure, we'll give you that. Do you think that his departure signals a shift in Netflix's film strategy? Or do you think his departure, if anything, signals a non-shift? Well, it's it's the question of whether it's a symptom of what's going on or if it's going to be the impetus of what's going on. And I actually, I think it's a symptom of what's going on. I think he's looking at this company and saying, listen, there is now a TV person running this content operation. She has a particular perspective on this. She wants you know a bunch of gourmet cheeseburgers those are not necessarily the $100, 200000000 million prestige plays that get you Oscar nominations. 
they'll do a couple of those. I don't think that they're going to fully pull back from that space. But I think it's the Netflix movie output is going to more closely resemble the TV movie of the week. They're going to do the genres of movies that the traditional theatrical distributors are not doing, the rom-coms, the teen stuff, the lower-budget stuff. And I think they're going to pull back on some of these more blockbustery types of movies. And you're not going to see the $200, $250 million Zack Snyder movie, Rebel Moon, which was a huge swing and ultimately did not generate the engagement. But think about where Netflix is. They are the only studio streamer not putting movies in theaters. So you have to ask, why is that? Because all of the other companies have determined that if you're going to spend this amount of money on a movie, you need to put it in theaters at least a little bit to get some money back and also to create a franchise or to create awareness for the movie. Netflix isn't doing that. And why is it not? I think two reasons. One, they believe in the Netflix platform. And at this point, with 260 million subscribers worldwide, they have this scale to create that awareness in their minds without doing the traditional marketing campaigns. And they are now able, and this is a key point, to take the franchises from other studios. They're letting the other studios put in all the research and development, all the production budget, all the risk on franchise creation. And then they're just picking off what they want. If you look at Netflix, we've said this on the show before. They've got Dune. They've got all the Warner's DC movies. They've got you know Disney stuff. They've got all kinds of other studios franchises there now because these studios are so desperate for money that they don't necessarily have to create their own franchises. That would be nice, but that's a risky endeavor. And Netflix is essentially saying, we are the power in streaming now. We will do what we want in movies, but we don't necessarily have to do put in the effort that some of these others do. We'll just pick off what we want. It never made a lot of sense to me that they were making... $200 million movies if they weren't going to put them in theaters. There are the types of movies like romantic comedies that make perfect sense for viewing at home and where the investment is low enough that you don't need to put them in theaters. But if you're going to make a Zack Snyder Star Wars ripoff, you got to put it in theaters. That's a good transition over to the WWE deal because the WWE deal is, to me, the future of where Netflix is going. We are headed into this engagement era where Netflix is selling advertising and it's not good enough for them to just have your subscription money. They need you watching the platform. And this Netflix deal, this WWE deal, if you break it down, 10 years, $5 billion, if, it, if everything goes well, that's $500 million a year. So that's two Rebel Moons that they are investing in WWE. And they're getting 150 hours of live programming, sports programming, although we can get into whether it's sports or sports adjacent. I would argue it's for the purposes of media rights, it's sports. Can we just call it live? Because I, I, I had the same thought of you that it like trades like a, a sports property, but it also just trades like a live property, right? It's not that different from the deals that you do for an award show or for any of those things where you're Except basic... it's 150 hours a oh, year. Yeah. No, no, no. It, yeah. The, the volume is, is, is much more like a sports property. No question. And the loyalty of the audience, time after time, when WWE has bounced around to different outlets, it has shown that the audience follows. And we'll see if the super fans of award shows show up for the SAG Awards on Netflix. 
Um, I, I'm not sure. I think award shows are much more of a passive audience. Like, oh, I'm watching football. Oh, there's an award show on. Sure. Oh, there's celebrities. Oh, I'll stick here if I'm flipping around. I don't know if you necessarily think the SAG Awards are appointment viewing. Maybe if they're pushed to me on Netflix, I'll be like, oh, okay. But it's not like WWE where people are invested in the storylines. You brought up the, the Rebel Moon thing. I'm just curious. So let's, let's extend that. So mm-hmm. you have $500 million, which is the, the annual average value for the Netflix Raw deal. So that can be two or three blockbuster movies. It can be four to six TV shows or just a shit ton of documentaries and comedy specials. What do you think is the, the best use of your money? WWE. Are you kidding me? You think WWE would be better than like five Ginny and Georges? Yes, because first of all, you don't know if those five shows are going to be Ginny and Georgia. And we know from the Netflix data dump that most of the content on Netflix is not watched by very many people. There are breakouts and we talk about those breakouts a lot. But that's the whole issue is that when you go with something like WWE, you are getting guaranteed hits. Now, obviously, the ratings go up and down based on the storylines, time of year, competition, etc. But it's pretty consistent. And scripted television making is not consistent. So it's taking the the hit risk factor out of it. That's why Bella really wanted this deal. She was super aggressive in getting it from everyone I've talked to because she's looking at the she has $17 billion a year, give or take, to spend on content. This Netflix deal, this WWE deal is 3.5% of that 17 billion and the upside on it is huge. First of all, there's a lot of overlap between the Netflix audience and the WWE audience, especially in the U S there is opportunities to grow overseas because WWE does have a lot of fans overseas and it's a growing market there. Netflix wants to be there and you have this potential to bring over WWE fans who are not, Netflix subscribers, and in particular, to push them into the advertising tier, because that's where the focus is right now. They want more people to subscribe to the ad tier because they ultimately make more money on it. And what better product to do that than a consistent supply of lubed up wrestlers throwing each other around the ring that people go nuts for? Well, football, but that'd be a lot more expensive. To me, the most football, that's the thing is it's underpriced. For what Netflix, even at $5 billion for 10 years, WWE is underpriced, in my opinion. To me, the interesting thing about this will be whether they can grow the audience. The assumption would be yes. But you've taken a property that has a very stable audience, right? They're loyal. They don't go anywhere. But it doesn't really, at least in terms of TV viewership, like go up or down dramatically. It's just very consistent. Now, that's been on a cable network which has in some ways more reach than Netflix domestically, but globally far less. And so can Netflix bring in millions of new viewers for this, which would be a huge win for the WWE. It's obviously why they've done this, because they think they can grow the overall fan base and ultimately benefits Netflix as well. Are there a bunch of people in Europe, a bunch of people in Latin America, a bunch of people in Asia who haven't engaged as much with WWE? Or if they do, because WWE is huge on YouTube, Will they do it on Netflix, which is a, a more premium environment where they can watch the full broadcast? It's going to be really interesting test of Netflix's sort of live programming ability because this will be they'll they'll go from doing like the, you know a live show once every couple of months to now having to do it every week for three hours. 
do you see the Vince McMahon awfulness as being any issue for this deal? I mean, it's the timing of it. If the lawsuit against McMahon and him stepping down and all of that, the allegations against him had come out even a week ago, I think it would have been a problem for this Netflix deal. But from my understanding, Netflix has communicated to WWE that, you know, Vince is out now. They're going full steam ahead on this. Well, I think that the deal is one of the reasons you saw TKO move so swiftly to push him off the board or have him step down from the board. Because you remember, I mean, it was honestly insane that he was back at the company. This is someone who was... Oh, I mean, Vince McMahon has a record now. He's the first person <laughs> to be canceled twice. Yeah. He resigned or took a leave of absence or whatever the hell it was a couple of years ago after all the reporting about the hush money he'd paid to people to settle some allegations or settle, settle some cases. He was able to come back because he ultimately controlled the company and because they wanted to sell it and nobody was going to say no. But this feels like the final straw and as if he stays away it's you know you're not going to get too mad at at Netflix for doing a deal with a valuable property so long as the guys no longer involved this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube cars can be a big investment so it's important to take care of them i once got a car that i started out with 25,000 miles on i got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. All right, let's move on a little bit to the Netflix earnings and some of the reveals there. 13 million new subscribers. Uh, the password crackdown is clearly working. The financials were good. The profit margin for the year was at about 20%, uh, which is a very profitable business for those who say that streaming is a bad business. Netflix would beg to differ. The questions for Netflix, to me, seem to be, how much of this is due to the password sharing crackdown, which would mean that is a temporary boost and we're going to see it come down to earth, which will lead to some bad comps in the next year. And is the impact of the strikes and all the upheaval of the content business in the past year, have we just not seen those effects yet? Or is Netflix uniquely able to ride them out? So let's go to the first one, password sharing. Well, I'd say two things. I think some of it has to be password sharing because it is implausible that when you saw the trajectory of the growth over a couple of years really slowing down, mm -hmm. that they jacked it back up out of nowhere. It's not like the programming <laughs> changed all that much. It's not like the strategy changed all that much. But I, what I will say... Well, but the competition maybe had less to offer. Competition may have less to offer. But the other thing I'll say is it's really important, I think, with some of these growth numbers to like normalize and account for just the weirdness of COVID. So 
in the years leading up to COVID, Netflix was growing at like 25 million customers a year. And then Netflix has that huge 2020. And then it really slows down in 2021 and 2022, which also coincided with the inflation and some other stuff. And then now it's sort of like back to where it was growing before, even above it. And my guess would be that there would have been a bounce back this year, no matter what, because they like worked through some of the COVID wonkiness and some of the competitive dynamics. But then you add in the ad tier and the password sharing, and it just led to this boom. And so you're going to see the numbers for 2024 almost certainly come down from 2023. But I don't think they'll go down to as dramatic as they were in, say, 2022. Yeah, I think that's probably right. We were with our friends on Saturday night, and he got the dreaded text from his mother that Netflix was not working. And they were asking about the password. So I think it's still rolling out. Like People are still getting that text saying, party's over, got to pay. Well, it's why it's been so effective for them because they didn't have they didn't provoke this like mass revolt at the same time. They're just like yeah. subtly being like, nope, cutting you off, cutting you off. Right. I know. It's like a, a hit squad. They're just going around the country one by one saying, Nope, you're up. You gotta pay us. How much do you think the programming on other services has anything to do with Netflix's performance and growth? I mean, obviously I think it impacts the share of viewership. If there are big hits elsewhere, then those numbers are going to come up. And in an advertising environment, that might matter. I mean, we do see Amazon getting bumps in the second half of the year because of football. And I think all of those streamers that are attached to legacy networks like Peacock and Paramount Plus do get a huge boost from football. Um, so that matters from an ad perspective. But I don't know. I feel like Netflix has pulled ahead so much as a quasi-utility for streaming television, that as long as Netflix is churning stuff out itself, I don't necessarily think it matters that much if there's a big buzzy hit on HBO or if there's Ted Lasso coming back on Apple or something like that. Ted Lasso, I mean, you, the most watched streaming original in the US last year. Pretty remarkable. Really? Is that true? That's for what For a service said. that has such lower penetration... Yeah, I guess people came in to watch it and then bailed. Netflix had seven of the 10 most watched originals, but the number one was, was Ted Lasso. But I, to your point, I do think that you have to factor in international because Netflix doesn't face the same competition in a lot of these other markets. And the US accounts at this point for like at most uh, about a quarter of its growth. Hmm. Yeah. The ads question is the big interesting one to me because I've heard rumblings and I'm sure you're hearing the same thing that the ad sales for these platforms, whether it's Netflix or Amazon Prime Video or the others, the ad sales have not been as robust as some of the advertising executives of these companies have predicted they would be. And Netflix, obviously, they replaced their executives in charge of this push. And Amazon is now this week actually flipping the switch on making people pay extra to not get ads. They think ads is going to be a billion dollar business per year or more. Joe Ravitch told us last week. What if it doesn't materialize? They're, they're launching these things and they're pushing them into an ad market that is somewhat depressed. And I heard it even came up in the WWE conversations with Netflix, where they were like, yeah, we're going to make money on this, but we don't know the ads business on Netflix yet. We don't know what it's really going to be. And maybe it's a bust. 
for WWE. Maybe they're not able to sell ads into the content like they may have thought they would be. What are you hearing about the ads market right now? There's the Netflix question and then the broader market. I think streaming service ads are going to be fine. You know, you have this pool of money that goes into TV advertising, most of it for sort of brand and awareness advertising. And you're just going to see more and more of that transfer from linear television to online video. And the only question is, who's going to get what, right? Like YouTube commands the largest share of anyone. It's the 800-pound gorilla, and it's going to keep getting a lot. TikTok is taking some, but Amazon should be able to get a bunch of money. They're already one of the world's biggest advertisers. They're effectively making most of their customers watch with advertising. I don't think you're going to see... You'll see some people upgrade, but my guess would be the majority will not. And they're going to have scale and video advertising almost from day one. I think Netflix's challenge is getting too scaled. They know the password crackdowns work, so the ad tier is what you heard. Greg Peters, the co-CEO, identifies like the biggest priority... But well, and forty percent of new subs are going to the ad tier, right? Said. But this only works if they keep signing up a lot of customers because they didn't see a bunch of their existing customers trade down. Some do, but not a lot. Like to have a meaningful video advertising business, Netflix is going to need to get to like a hundred million people at least, and so that means they're going to need to add two hundred, three hundred million more customers. Now they think they can get there, but that's going to be a long road. Yeah, why is it that people are not trading down? I would have thought there'd be more of that because people like cheaper. And when you're given the option, you know, with all the different streaming services and the price hikes and everything, it's it's surprising to me that more aren't trading down. One, it was a fundamental part of the Netflix offering, right? Was you get to watch ad-free. And the other is you have to make a change. It's so much yeah. like just never discount inertia. I know. You and I pay attention to this, but most people do not. Most people just like get the notification or uh, they start to see ads and some people will get annoyed. But, you know, I don't think everyone does. All right. Thank you, Lucas. We're going to have you stick around for the call sheet because we have a very special addendum to our box office draft. You can do that. I'm ready. I can't wait for it. All right. We're back with the call sheet, Craig. You're in Chicago with the Rewatchables Cold Weather Tour. Lucas is in New York. I'm in sunny L.A. We are going to do a special edition to our box office draft of last week. If you didn't listen, we picked our five players for this year. We then gave each other a potential bomb. Uh, A lot of movies not selected. And some dude on Twitter named Brendan, who's very smart, suggested a a way to make this more interesting. Uh, So tell us what we're doing. So Brendan suggested that I, with the leftover films remaining in the pool, select my five and see if I can beat either of you. And if that happens, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you buy me a minority stake in the Dodgers. I'm not sure. Yeah, (laughs) that that happens. You're going to the World (laughs) Series with uh, Lucas's tickets. All right. So so taking the leftovers of our picks, the, the movies we did not pick, Craig is going to assemble a team. And if that team ends up beating one or both of us, then Craig gets a special prize. So let's quickly run through your guys' teams. Lucas's team, Despicable Me 4, Inside Out 2, Joker 2, Dune 2, If, and the bomb that Matt gave Lucas was Horizon 2. Matt's team, Deadpool 3, Wicked Part 1, Mufasa, Kung Fu Panda 4, Beetlejuice 2, and the bomb that Lucas gave Matt was Madam Web. I'm feeling pretty good about Madam Web. I feel like people are going to hate watch this thing. They will hate watch it. I agree with you. <laughs> Dakota Johnson on SNL basically like 
they're leaning urging into it. people to hate watch people uh, yeah. hate watch the movie. The, yeah. If yes, the, the the combo of Dakota Johnson and Sydney Sweeney might just be enough to put this <laughs> yes. movie over the top. <laughs> Sydney Sweeney going all out with her hot ones episode too. This is the the promo for this has been great so far. Okay, so here here are my five movies, and then are you? But maybe I don't get a bomb. You can't saddle me with a bomb because I'm picking from the leftovers. Oh, you're no. Gonna, no, but you're going to want a bomb because even want, a bomb yeah. generally gives you a little bit of money. Okay, so then you guys are going to have to give me a bomb. I, I have one. I'm going to give you one. So Great. you go. So I'm going with Sonic 3. Oh. First one made 400. Shadow is being introduced in this movie. It's also coming oh, out in December oh, compared to the spring. Craig, you do not have to tell me that. My kid has been talking about Shadow for two years now. There are like 100 YouTube clips that preview what Shadow is going to be. And I saw Neil Moritz on the street in Beverly Hills, the producer of the movie. I'm like, so Shadow is like doing this, this, this. He's like, it's all bullshit. The YouTube stuff is all bullshit. It doesn't matter. So, but Shadow is going to be a big deal. So I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. The next one, I'm going with Godzilla X Kong, The New Empire, Ugh. which the first one, the, th the one before this was called Godzilla vs. Kong. This one, I believe they team up. But that movie made $470 million in March of 2021. Godzilla's hot right now with Godzilla minus one. Godzilla, so hot right now. I mean, okay, but like, what makes you think this is going to go higher than 400? To win, you have to go higher than 400. Well, look, I, I think it could probably get to five, six, seven, considering the first, the, the last one came out in March 2021 and it made almost 500. The next one I'm going with, I, I, I'm going to go with uh, some riskier options. I'm taking Garfield. Okay, <laughs> I gotta do it. You're going for the you're second. Just, you just you just hate Mondays. That's you're just you know. You, I'm going. I'm sticking with Mondays. animation, man. The kids are okay. dependable. I'm going with Chris Garfield. Pratt, man. Do not do not bet against Chris Pratt as an animated character. Uh, that's a Memorial Day weekend movie. I'm going with another Memorial Day weekend movie, Furiosa. Oh, interesting. I just don't see what about this movie makes it likely to get higher than. The Last Mad Max, which did not actually do that great. I, I like that this movie, you have to see it in theaters. This is a movie where if you want to see it, you will go to see it in theaters. All right. The final one came down to Gladiator 2 or Venom 3. And I'm going with Venom 3. And I, I don't even like superhero movies, and I'm going with Venom 3. The second one made $500 million against a 110 budget, and that came out in October 2021, like kind of still in, in the pandemic. And was apparently unwatchable. I'm banking on Furiosa being a huge hit. Garfield starting a Garfield franchise and Sonic 3 dominating December. All right. And I'm going to give you, I'm debating between the fall guy or Craven the Hunter. I oh, think Lord. I'm going to give you Craven the Hunter. Yeah. You just should. because I, I want you to have two of the Sony Marvel movies because one of them will probably miss. Um, and Craven the Hunter, I know the budget was a little higher than the typical Sony Marvel. Um, is Aaron Taylor Johnson a star? Maybe, probably not. And I would bet against him r more than I would bet against Ryan Gosling. So, not a bad team. I, I respect it. And as if this happens and you beat us, it will be hugely embarrassing for both of us. All right, Craig's got his team now. Lucas and I have our teams. And the first test is going to be Madam Web. Uh, so, Everyone should tell all Matt their friends. Matt will be there. Don't I'll be, buy I'll tickets. Be, <laughs> I will be there. Uh, no, I'll be there opening night. I'm going to go to the premiere if it's in LA. I'm going to I'm going to post. That's going to do the content. sound of freedom thing where he's just going to buy everybody else's tickets. <laughs> all right. No, that's a better. I think that's Pay a better forward. fit for the Kevin Pay Costner forward movie. For, for Madam Webb, make yeah. this thing ahead. You guys, I'm telling you, the irony, the ironic 
viewership is going to be huge. People are going to just go. They're going to dress up as, uh, you know, uh, explorers in the Amazon. Um, it's going to be big. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guests, Lucas Shaw. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We will see you later this week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.